Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is George Scott, the Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar. And today I'm joined by Jack Luke, Deputy Editor on Bike Radar, and Simon Von Bromley, Senior Technical Writer on Bike Radar. It's been a busy news week across road and mountain bikes, so we're going to cover our pick of the bunch. But there's lots more to check out on the site, including a new Scott Voltage EMTB, a new Cannondale Motera SL e-bike, and a very cool off-road e-cargo bike from Turn. Before we get started, Jack, how are you? I'm tremendous, thank you, George. Very delighted to talk about exciting tech news. Good stuff. And you, Simon? Yeah, not too bad. Thankfully, had all my waterproofs on this morning. We didn't get too soggy, even though it was absolutely bucketing down in Bristol today. Well, we'll share with the listeners that we're in our podcast studio here. I have taken my shoes off because they, <laughs> they are soaked through from the British winter this morning. Very wet, but not too cold, so I'm not too sad. Well, let's get down to business. We've got lots to cover, including our first story. This is a big one. We've got a new Campagnolo Ecar, or Ecar, I think it's Ecar, gravel group set. Jack, you saw this at a trade show this week. So what can you tell us about this new gravel group set from Campag? So Ecar was Campagnolo's single gravel group set, quite a high-end premium, one-by only option, 13-speed, generally seen on quite high-end bikes. Ecar GT is, in Campagnolo's words, a more affordable all-rounder group set. It does away with the carbon crank set seen on the original Eckhart group set, going to a alloy crank set instead. It's got slightly wider, but also harder, should you so wish, uh, gearing options, and the shifter ergonomics have been slightly refined versus the first edition of the group set. We saw it in the flesh, and it looks pretty nice. 
looks pretty nice. It's, it's not massively different from the original Eckhart group set. And this is some slight things that were left a little unclear on. For example, like some of the parts haven't really updated. Some of them have. It's not exactly clear how Campagnolo is positioning it. Because although they describe it as a cheaper group set, it's not like massively, massively cheaper. It's not like an Apex group set versus Red on the SRAM side. It is marginally cheaper. So it's a slightly unusual launch, but certainly one that people have been really interested in. So just on pricing, it's £1,211 or $1,599 or €1,490 if you're in the EU. Jack, inevitably, there have been quite a few comments on our story and our video. You should go and check that out if you want to see this in more detail. But there's been quite a lot of comments that it's still too expensive. And you just made reference to this. Can Campag be competitive with a group set like this? Uh, I'm going to say that at RRP, no. <laughs> like, it's it's not really giving a compelling option compared to GRX or from Shimano or some of the cheaper SRAM group sets. But RRP pricing rarely represents real-world pricing, even for Campagnolo. So I would give it a few months' time and see what it's actually being sold at. And also it'll be dictated by what bikes it's being sold on as a complete group set. Eckhart's been quite unusual for Campagnolo in recent years, where it basically fell out entirely in the road world. You never saw super or record-equipped road bikes or even anything below that. Eckhart has actually made its way a little bit into the OEM market. So perhaps if it's on sort of bikes that are as complete bikes competitively priced, maybe we'll see a little bit of it or a little bit more of it. But as a standalone group set, I think it's still too punchy to be an option that you would really pick over the, the other two main group set manufacturers unless you are like a Campagnolo super fan. But even then... Like the original Eckhart group set it is considerably more expensive, but it's like a bit more aspirational. It's a much nicer looking overall group set, I dare say. I think if you were making this choice, you're probably making it based on your heart rather than your gut uh, or your head. And I just don't think it will blow minds. But who knows? We haven't tested it yet. We should say we have only very briefly seen it at Corebike on a very tasty limited edition Basso. So the proof will be in the pudding when we get our hands on a group set, which we've been promised. So I'm looking forward to taking that into the studio and weighing it. <laughs> Without wanting to put you on the spot, but I'll do it anyway. You, you kind of mentioned the positioning alongside SRAM and Shimano. It's quite difficult often to position Campagnolo group sets, but where would you position this new Eckhart group set in, say, the Shimano lineup, which our listeners might be more familiar with? I, in terms of pricing, it is very similar to the 820 sort of mechanical one by ish group sets. I'm peering over to Simon shoulder right now, who's very helpfully open to tab on Merlin, so I have the RRPs in mind. But it, it is roughly that GRX RX 820, which is the one by 12 one, will come at 1,000. £272.99. So, you know, quite similar. And that's the kind of top of the range Shimano one by stuff, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So GRX is a bit weird because it's a bit mix and match. It doesn't have like named tiers and like we do on the road with Durace and Altegra, but 820-ish stuff is the top end mechanical new 12-speed stuff. So yeah, it's basically the same price as top end GRX mechanical. Excellent. Well, lots more on bikeradar.com and on our YouTube channel. So go and check that out. But Simon, Jack alluded to this, but... It's interesting that Campag has launched this group set so soon after falling out of the World Tour. Now, those two things won't necessarily be related in terms of timing, but is Gravel a space where you think Campag can refind itself or find a route to appeal to the masses once again? Yeah, I do think so. I, th I think Campagnolo has definitely gained some traction in Gravel with its Eckhart group set. And I think, you know, to be fair, looking at 
this kind of on paper, people were asking, you know, they always say the problem with Campagnolo often is that it's too expensive. So the launch of a cheaper Eckhart group set is good news. This will make it more accessible to more people. I think, you know, we'll have to kind of wait for the shakedown of how it comes out and what, what level it comes out on OEM pricing. Because, yeah, at RRP, it's the same as you know, RX820. And obviously with Shimano group sets, you know, we're kind of back in the days now where Shimano group sets are being heavily discounted you know, off RRP. So the kind of real world pricing for an RX820 group set is almost half the RRP at the moment. So we'll kind of have to wait and see. But I do think this is good news. And I think this is what there are still plenty of diehard Campagnolo fans. And, and obviously, Warren always points out that you need kind of entry-level products to get people into the ecosystem. You know, once you're in the ecosystem, it's, it's much harder to switch to someone else. But if you can't get in at a lower level, it makes it hard to become a new fan. So I think, it, I think it's good. I think, you know, for me, like looking at this, I don't think this gives up too much to the more expensive group set. I think it's still a pretty good looking group set. Of course, you're not getting a carbon crank and things like that. But, I've, you know, you don't get a carbon crank with... Tegra, or you know, you actually don't even get a carbon crank with Durace. So I think it's still a good-looking group set. They've added more range and so easier gears in this. There's a new 10 to 48 tooth cassette option. You know, it is 13 speed, so it is better than Shimano 12 speed. Of <laughs> course, it is. <laughs> One equals better. Yeah, exactly. It goes to 13, right, rather than 12. So yeah, I think it's a good launch, and hopefully, this signals that Campagnolo is kind of listening and responding to the feedback that people want more cheaper, more accessible options. And yeah, maybe we'll see a cheaper Super Record Wireless at some point. Just to go back to your point on pricing, we should point out that GRX820 only released in August past, so it's barely been on the market for six, eight months-ish. And yeah, it's already at half price. So to caveat everything we just said in terms of the Campagnolo pricing, who's to say that in a similar time frame, it may well be very similarly discounted. Yeah. Well, if you want to go out and buy this one, maybe wait a couple of months and see what the aftermarket price is, is looking like at that point. Just before we move on, it's also worth saying there's a new set of Campagnolo Zonda GT wheels that have been launched alongside this group set. So a few snippets from this is an aluminium rim with a 23mm internal width. The claimed weight, according to Campag, is 1,690 grams. And in terms of pricing, £614.99p or $749 European and Australian pricing is yet to be confirmed. So from one gravel story to a gravelish story next, this is a new set of Favero Asamoa Pro MX off-road power meter pedals. That was a mouthful, but Simon, the story here is that these are Favero's first off-road power meter pedals. What can you tell me about them? Yeah, that's right. And so... If anyone who's kind of like, you know, deep in the power meter world will know that people have been kind of unofficially modding Favero power meter spindles to put Shimano SPD pedal bodies on them for a while. But that always came with compromises, kind of like the pod was, you know, still pretty exposed. It wasn't ideal. And the Q factor ended up being quite wide. This is actually a whole kind of new second generation power meter pedal from Favero. They haven't just taken the kind of existing spindle and its pod and, and you know, just bolted on an SPD pedal body. What they've done is they've completely redesigned it. All of the electronics are now kind of within the spindle. It's a kind of design reminiscent of Garmin's Vector and Garmin's Rally, where there's no pod. It's just kind of looks like a normal pedal. But yeah, it looks really good. And I think, you know, what's kind of really exciting is that 
It's really well made. The accuracy is fantastic. And they kind of undercut the likes of Garmin and SRM on price quite significantly. And as well as kind of, you know, the RRP for just the pedals alone, replacement pedal bodies, which is obviously, you know, quite important for an off-road pedal because you're going to be, you know, the pedals are, are just inherently exposed to damage. And when you're riding off-road, you know, you're going to hit it with a rock. You're going to go through a big puddle, you know, all of this sort of stuff. If you drop the bike, the pedal is going to take the brunt of the damage. Replacement pedal bodies for the Asioma Pro MX are only 49 euros each compared to something like, you know, it's over 200 pounds for a set of Garmin Rally replacement pedal bodies. So yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed with them. As per the notes, I kind of awarded them a, a rare five stars. You know, we really racked our brain. <laughs> Me and Rob Weaver, who's one of our senior technical editors here at Bike Radar, we really racked our brains looking for, for cons to kind of, you know, reasons to chip half a star off them. But yeah, so far, you know, obviously I don't want to just go out of our way to make stuff up. So yeah. They are very, very good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. I don't want to, you know, pat our own backs too much, but I thought your review was very good, Simon. It was a very good read, very thorough, but concise, and you didn't get too bogged down in the details. It's a very good read if you're in the market for off-road pedals. We just want to read Simon's wonderful words. I'm always kind of unsure about how many kind of charts to put in. (laughs) You know, I'm aware that, you know, when I say that I have tested them against other benchmark power meters and, and smart trains and things like that, I'm, you know, that is a really critical part of the review. And I'm aware that I need to evidence that. But I'm also aware that people generally don't want to have to look for the, inf- you know, they don't want to have to look for the proof themselves. And so I try and keep a lid on how many charts and, and graphs I put in. And, and basically, you know, if I don't find any problems, I can, that's, you know, kind of useful. And I can just use a few to illustrate that it's all good. And, but yeah, often if, if there's something wrong with it, then I have to use more illustrations to kind of evidence that but yeah you know we try and keep these things tight just to dive into the testing a little bit more you tested these alongside a stages power meter and then an elite Doretto xr which i think has one of been one of your benchmark smart trainers for the past few years am i right in saying that there's a podcast coming up where you dive a little deeper into your testing process for power meters yeah that's right and smart trainers as well because they're kind of quite similar i mean the main thing is is outside of having a lab which had a kind of really accurate dynameter that you could you know attach you know put a cert, you could put a known quantity through and you know do all of that stuff uh the kind of the way we test it is 
is to just, yeah, essentially ride with multiple power meters on the bike at the same time and then just compare the data. And I've got at least five power meters at home. You know, the kind of collection of good ones is growing. But it's kind of really convenient because, you know, had I found some problems, you know, had they disagreed with the stages, for example, I could have taken them off that bike, put them on another bike with a Quark or an Infocrank, you know, like, yeah. And I've got this Elite Diretto XR smart trainer that I've had, I think, since 2020 now. And the accuracy of that is just rock solid. It's always really, really good. So it's a kind of great benchmark for just comparing the data against. And if things don't kind of line up with it, then usually the problem is with the new one rather than the rather than the Diretto XR or, you know, my other power meters. Of course, you know, I have tested some power meters that haven't been great and they haven't made it into my collection of benchmarks. So c'est la vie. Just on that note, you've tested a lot of power meters for us over the past few years and you have now gone the full spectrum in terms of star ratings from from one star for the limits power meter that just didn't cut the mustard at all all the way up to i think your first five star review for a, a power meter with these new Ferrero pedals so clearly very good really comprehensive testing process and i also know you've got a couple of power meter reviews coming up perhaps not for a little while but what else is on the the schedule for you yeah so there are you know new power meters on the horizon that i don't think we can talk about yet <laughs> but you know we're still keen to really keen to review the shimano power meter that's been one that's been kind of, you know, we aimed to do it last summer. It never quite happened. And then obviously winter and smart trainer season came and we just had other priorities. But that is still on our list. Obviously, that is a, as a first party option, it's being spec'd on a lot of bikes. A lot of interest because it's being used in the world tour. And so that is a key model that we are keen to test. You know, there, there was a new power meter from Rota as well. And I'm sure there'll be, I'm sure there'll be more throughout the year. We've got a 4i. They have sent us their new precision free pro dual-sided power meter which is very interesting you know i spoke to the engineers recently and they they were very confident in the accuracy of their power meters so that's always a good sign and it has things like apple find my integration which is kind of cool it means you don't need to have an air tag on your bike to locate your bike yeah there, there's you know as always there's always new ones you know what i kind of like really looking forward to is seeing what sram do with their new power meters their kind of quark technology is the, the spider-based stuff is really well proven, but they haven't updated it in a long time. And it'll be really interesting to see if they do anything there to kind of move the game forward or if they just kind of, you know, stick where they are. They don't necessarily, you know, in terms of you know, accuracy, cadence and power accuracy is, is incredible. They're very robust, but they don't do the kind of, you know, the newer stuff like accurate left-right balance, you know, cycling dynamics that these power meter pedals offer, for example. So I wonder, you know, with Campagnolo building a kind of dual-sided power meter crank set, we believe, I wonder if SRAM will be looking around at what other people are doing and wondering if they want to step up their game as well. This is a really fast-moving market at the moment. As Simon says, there are perhaps a couple of launches coming up that we can't talk about just yet. What I'm about to say isn't one of them, but talking about <laughs> talking about SRAM there, Simon, they now own time pedals. Do you think we could see a time power meter pedal? Potentially. So SRAM did buy PowerTap a few years ago, and obviously PowerTap had their P1, and I think, I don't know if they did a P2, but they did power meter pedals as well as obviously um, hubs, power meter hubs. So I think when SRAM bought PowerTap, we were all like, well, obviously they've just bought PowerTap, they just bought time. You know, we all did the David Brent thing of putting our hands and our fingers together, you know, synergy, but it hasn't happened. What they have done is release uh, bottom bracket um, power meters, which has which has been quite interesting. And kind of, uh, Spin, a, do you mean a spindle based kind of? Power yes, meter? sorry, a spindle based power meter which sits inside the bottom bracket, and, and that has enabled them to bring. They're only single sided, but that has enabled them to bring them down to a much lower price point, which is you know obviously great. And then yeah, they've had their long standing kind of quark based spider power meters for a long time. Now 
making a power meter pedal would be an excellent way for them to get all of that kind of dual-sided lovely stuff such you know to get accurate left right balance to get cycling dynamics so you can get things like you know torque efficiency which is you know a kind of measure of how how you're kind of applying the power throughout your your pedaling phase and you know how much of it is going to driving the bike forward as opposed to you know blah 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 blah. there's lots of things you can do with a true dual-sided power meter so yeah that would be really interesting to see and just finally before we move on you point to in your news story the fact that these new uh, mx off-road pedals could pave the way for a new Favero Asamoah Pro road pedal. Now, these are due an update, and you've been using the uh, the road pedals for a long time now. Yeah, so the road pedals, the, As- the current Asioma Duo and Asioma Duo Sheet, they are you know getting slightly long in the tooth now, but they are still excellent performers. The only thing, the only real criticism I have of them is that the pods look a bit unsightly, but in terms of performance, it doesn't make any difference. However, it's an obvious question that, oh, well, you know, you've made this brand new spindle, Where's the road version? Now, so obviously I asked this question. Favero wouldn't be drawn on it. They, they, they sort of simply said that they were really happy with the Asioma Duo and it's going to continue as part of their lineup for the foreseeable future. But but yeah, you know, you, you have to imagine that this, this is kind of on the cards. You know, if you look across at Garmin Rally, for example, that uses one set of spindles and then, you know, techn- it, it's kind of... You know, they advertise it as you can swap the pedal bodies around, which you can, but it's not something you'd want to do on a regular basis because it's it's kind of quite fiddly and there's a number of like very small uh, Phillips head screws that if you did it, you'd you'd be at risk of kind of rounding out and damaging your pedals. So, but uh, you can imagine that Favero must have looked at Garmin's rally system and 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 you know that they they won't be unaware of that capability. So I would be shocked if we didn't see a kind of road version of this pedal in the future but yeah unfortunately don't know when well let's move on from something that we're not quite sure about to something that we are definitely (laughs) sure about because this launched yesterday it's the new canyon spectral really key bike for canyon it's the brand's do it all trail bike jack you haven't written the news story for this but i know you've been across the details so what's new with the new canyon spectral biggest news is that the whole Canyon Spectral CF, so the carbon fibre range, has adopted Canyon's Keep It Stable or KIS system, which is a really, really cool steering stabiliser system, which was introduced on one neuron in, back in 2022 and was developed in uh, collaboration with Syntase, Syntas, I can never tell. But it's kind of simply put a spring that's integrated inside the top tube that's attached by two bands to the steerer of the fork which calms down the steering of the bike in rough terrain by almost self-centering the the front end of the bike. It's a really cool system that when Rob Weaver wrote it, our tech editor-in-chief, he was very, very impressed by it. And it's an idea that's been used on and off over the years in mountain biking. But after its initial introduction with that one single model, Canyon's given it to the whole range of the Spectre, or this carbon fiber Spectral. Very interesting bit of tech, something I, I kind of... I don't know, it's it's so out there. I'd really, really love to give that a go. But elsewhere on the bike, rear wheel travel has been reduced quite unusually these days from 150 mil down to 140. Canyon says that's really just to better suit the trail riding, all-rounder intended use of the bike. And the kinematics of the suspension have naturally been updated as well to deliver even better suspension performance. The frame tube profiles have also been updated to increase the front triangle stiffness while trying to boost the rear end flex. Generally speaking, that's a little bit for comfort, but more for like tracking in rougher corners. And then there's loads of mod cons that we see with 
all sorts of uh, trail bikes these days, the key one being internal frame storage and mounts for tools and spares. One of the greatest, most welcome trends in modern mountain bike tech, in my view. Sandwich uh, sandwich box. Sandwich boxes, lunch boxes built into down tubes. It looks really, really cool, the bike, but the, the big talking point for me, and I suspect the thing that will have... Uh, I'll have lip smacking in the comments will be the keep it simple system. I think it's a really good idea. I think that that sort of like, it's it's the opposite of passive, but that passive way of improving control and comfort off road is like, it feels almost too obvious, but others will bemoan it as being more complication that's unneeded on a bike. But personally, I think it's a, a really cool idea. And this is not, this is not a directly applicable comparison. I used a King Creek headset, which is similar, not self-centering, more like a damping system on our tandem for a while. (laughs) Very different in use case. But I was so impressed by just how much it improved the handling of the bike. But I've also ridden cargo bikes in the past or urban bikes with a far more simple spring that's attached between the down tube and the crown. And those kind of steering stabilizers have been used for a long, long time for this exact purpose to kind of calm down the handling. And they really make a difference. So with a more refined, more complex system, which this definitely is, I can see it as being a genuine improvement to mountain bike tech. It sounds really cool. If you were to throw this forward five or six years, when you're a similar age to me, if you can imagine that, (laughs) do you think this technology will have caught on? Will it still be on Canyon bikes? And I suppose more, the bigger test is, will it be across the market? Yes to Canyon. I would be quite surprised if they backed down from this. I mean, you could point to the likes of the, the Grail handlebar. They've done some quite wacky stuff in the past, which hasn't lasted forever. But I think this is a real vote of confidence that after, it was October 2022, if I recall right, that the first bike was introduced, that they've now put it onto... This is one of their best-selling bikes. This is a huge model for Canyon. So they've clearly had enough positive feedback from riders, but also from sales, presumably, and, and, I don't know, focus groups, that they think this is something worthwhile doing. Whether it'll catch on more broadly, I don't really know. I think Canyon can afford better to take the risk. They can integrate this technology probably, yeah, with with more knowledge, they'll confidently sell all the bikes and kind of invest in the R&D required for it. I think for smaller brands, I mean, one, they would presumably have to license it off of Syntase, which would be quite expensive. They are the kind of developers behind this technology and it would require quite fundamental frame redesigns, which may not be a risk that smaller brands want to take on. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more development in this area I think it was Lauf on the gravel bike side. They worked with FSA to create a kind of damping headset, much more simple, used a really heavily viscosity, heavy viscosity, grease in its upper headset bearing to calm down steering. As I mentioned, it's been that Cane Creek system in the past, and I wouldn't be surprised if it goes really well with Canyon and that other brands do similar things. But broad, absolute adoption, probably not, but Canyon, I think they'll stick with it and push it onto other models as well. So this is on the CF range to start with the carbon fibre range with prices starting at £3,299 with Shimano SLX and a Fox 36 Riven Fork and rising to £6,699 with SRAM XX Eagle and a Fox 36 Factory Fork. US prices and availability are TBC at the time of recording, but keep an eye on Bike Radar and we'll update that story when we know more if you're in the US or uh, across Europe. I need to have a little closer look at those specs. This is terrible that I should point this out, but... I- I couldn't tell you the last time we covered a bike launch where the top spec model wasn't £10,000 plus. 
it's quite unusual for a bike range to top out at 6,700 odd pounds. Like, maybe things are going back to the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no CFR frame, no kind of all singing CFR frame, but marginal gains at that at that point. Still has a SRAM XX Eagle transmission drivetrain, so they haven't skimped on parts. Mm. Mm. Bit of analysis to be done. Well, if it is back to the good old days, then hurrah. I think it's a good (laughs) thing for everyone, but I won't hold my breath, unfortunately. Simon, you were conspicuous in your silence there, so we're going to go back to familiar and favourable territory for you. This is um, a new Panarasa Agilist fast tyre. Jack, I will start with you because you spotted this at a trade show this week. It was the Core Bike Show. Before we get onto the tyre... Tell the listeners about the Core Bike Show. Core Bike Show is a very large dealer first, I would say, show where lots of big distributors, bike shops and brands all descend on Whittlebury Hall by Silverstone Race Circuit. And you prowl the halls of these murky little rooms looking at a tasty bike tech. It's the first big show of the year. I think it's also probably the biggest one in the UK, at least from a dealer perspective. It's normally moderately as rowdy as a bike show could possibly get because I think there's a lot of people who've had a grim winter who want to come together and drink booze with uh, compatriots from other shops and moan about the state of the industry but normally the mood's quite jovial after a couple jugs of beer. Sure they're all very happy to see you as well Jack. Well (laughs) for us from the press side it's a good way to get early eyes on stuff that's launched maybe like a couple you know start of the year there's generally a flurry of launches as the road season starts so it's a good chance for us to go around and see stuff in the flesh for the first time. But also, as with this uh, launch, it's kind of grown in notoriety as a trade show, and we actually see quite a lot of new tech there launching. I think partly because they know press will be attending, but this, was, this for me, was one of the big launches of the show. So it's the, it's the Panarasa Agilist Fast Tire. As the name suggests, it's a fast version of the existing Panarasa Agilist. Actually, Simon, just on this, you tested this last year. We'll, we'll come on to your thoughts on that existing tyre later. But what is the uh, what is the Agilist range within um, the Panarasa lineup? So the Agilist is their kind of all-round uh, road bike tyre. And so it's a TLR and it's uh, kind of key. The key selling point of the, the standard Agilist was that it was very light. So it's only 243 grams per tyre for a 728C, which is, you know, a lot lighter. Most of them come in around 280 to 300 grams. So that was the kind of key selling point. Excellent. Let's focus on this new tyre, Jack. What is new here? Because there's some interesting tech behind this tyre. Yes, you've definitely put me on the spot because I <laughs> I spoke to somebody from Panarasa who explained it far better than I can. But the Agilist Fast The key difference is the way it's manufactured. It uses electron beam bonding, which wasn't 100% clear on exactly what it was. But as far as I could understand, when the different layers of the tyre are first put together, they go through this electron beam process, which better bonds the layers of the tyre together. Now, according to Panaracer, traditional vulcanization, where tyres are essentially baked in an oven, it's not a hugely accurate process and it can introduce imperfections into the tyre which are undetectable with sort of visual QC. And, you know, you're not going to take apart a tyre to check its QC because then it's it's void, essentially. So this electron beam process is a more accurate way of putting tyres together is the key takeaway. And according to Panaracer, that makes for a faster tyre. Um, they claim this is competitive with the likes of the Can- uh, Continental GP5000 or Schwalbe Pre- Pro 1, though they were kind of candid in saying that they're waiting for final results to come back. The key thing is fast and it's going to be competitive with big tyres from big brands. Well, Jack, you are undoubtedly an expert on all things cycling. 
But we are going to hear from an expert now. And that, that is Jeff Zell from Panaracer, who you did speak to at the core bike show. So here's what Jeff said to, to Jack about the new tire. So Fast has been in development for about three years in Japan. We wanted to take everything that we were working on with the regular line and, and do something completely different in eliminating some of the issues that all tire manufacturers have when they layer materials on top of each other. You've got casings, you know, you've got perhaps puncture material, and you have tread on top of that. All of those get laid on and then finished off in the vulcanization process. In the process, there can be small errors because the process is not done in a clean room under, you know, scientific uh, laboratory conditions. Air can get trapped in or there can be some misalignment at times. And these will miss visual QC when coming off the line. The tire might look perfect, but perhaps develop some kind of an issue in the future that could be avoided somehow. So we looked into trying to eliminate as much of this as we could, and we came up with a process that's been out in in the wild for some time, used in other industries, called electron beam bonding. I know it sounds like a bad 1950s science fiction movie or something like that, but it really is. It's an electron beam that merges all of the layers, whether it's one layer, two layer, three layer, whatever it is, together and eliminates any air that, or possibility of a gap between them, which does two things. One, it increases the integrity of the tire, lowering possible defects or quality control issues, and it lowers the rolling resistance further, something that we were already very low in. So that's why the name of the tire is called the Agilus Fast, because it really is our fastest tire, and it's as fast as anything in the market, both in our testing and also in independent laboratory testing. So there you have it. That's the word from Panaracer's Jeff Zell. Simon, I'll come to you next. As I said earlier, you tested the existing Panaracer Agilus TLR last year. I think it got a four-star four review. Fast, light, not a great deal of punch protection, but good all-round uh, race tire. Does the prospect of a faster version, according to Panaracer anyway, pique your interest now that we're heading into spring in the UK. Always interested in a faster tyre, George. <laughs> yeah, so I think my, my general thoughts on the standard Agilist was that it was, as you say, a very good all-round tyre. It, kind of, it was so light, I think, because they got rid of the puncture protection belt. Uh, and that also would have helped with rolling resistance because, you know, puncture protection belts by their kind of nature are like, you know, it's inflexible pieces of material that aim to stop sharp things getting in the tyre. So getting rid of that makes tends to make the tyre lighter, more supple, which, you know, reduces rolling resistance because the tyre requires less energy to deform it. If this, you know, when I, when I tested it on my rollers, it did come in, you know, two or three watts per tyre, slightly slower than a kind of GP5000, which isn't, you know, that's not the kind of, that's nothing that you'd notice in the real world, but, you know, in, indoors in the rollers, you know, my power meter can sort of tell a difference. If this is as fast as a GP5000, you know, that's great. That That's a kind of benchmark tyre. My worry would be that if it's still not got the puncture protection belt, why would you choose it over the GP5000 if this is only as fast as that, but the GP5000 has a puncture protection belt? So that's where, you know, I, I thought the Agilist was, was great. And, you know, obviously with tubeless, there is an argument that, you know, maybe you don't need the puncture protection belt so much because, you know, if anything does penetrate the tire, it can be sealed by the sealant anyway. So, you know, and obviously, you know, with a kind of lightweight tire, puncture protection belts can only do so much anyway. So it will have to kind of wait and see the, the kind of full spec details. I expect this will be, you know, light as the kind of current Agilist TLR is. 
And, you know, if it's even lighter, then I've no doubt that kind of weight weenies and hill climbers will be very excited. Panaracer also tend to do nice, quite nice coloured tyres as well. So hopefully we'll get something more than just the kind of austere black that we've seen so far, because that's always good because nothing, nothing makes you faster than a tyre that looks good. I had a question on this tyre, Simon. I don't know what to put you on the spot once again. The Agilist and Panaracer's high-end road tyres are unique in that they don't have any moulded tread features at all. It is just a complete, almost completely smooth, lightly textured tread. Why? What's the sketch with that? So tread on uh, road bike tyres is a kind of contentious topic. Now, if you believe the kind of testing done by the likes of Michelin, for example, who have a very good kind of real-world test track, you know, tread doesn't make any difference to kind of grip, basically, on a road bike tyre. And in fact, you know, you you know, we see on like Formula One tyres, if you want maximum grip in the dry, especially, but you know, even in the wet with a bicycle, because bicycles don't aquaplane, you want as much rubber in contact with the road as possible. And obviously, if you're going to have tread, you're going to have areas where there isn't there isn't rubber in contact with the road. Now, you know, engineers from Specialized have told me that they feel the kind of, you know, the specific tread on their tyres does aid with grip because it enables, you know, when you have this tread, it enables the rubber to flex. Envy have done things where they've said that their tread pattern is aerodynamic. You know, the kind of Continental GP5000 and gp 4002s or S2 before it, you know, is is known to be notably aerodynamic and, and that's why kind of like the likes of Swiss side and DT Swiss use it as one of their kind of like model tires for testing wheels. So I think there are kind of, you know, divergent philosophies on it. It's, you know, tread on a road bike tire is not like tread on a gravel bike or mountain bike tire. Uh, it's a lot of it is just for show. And I think, you know, back in the day, people wouldn't buy a slick, uh, road bike tire because they thought it wasn't going to give them any grip, but there are kind of multiple, multiple kind of schools of thought as to as to kind of you know do you want it or do you not i think for me it's kind of like the, the bottom of the list <laughs> bottom of the list thing you know it, it, if 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 the kind of tread on a gp5000 helps makes my wheels slightly more aerodynamic then that's like incredible but it's never something that you're going to feel on the road mm. on that point this is going back quite a few years ago now and i can't remember who it was or what the brand was so you know i've got nothing to substantiate this <laughs> but, but, you, you, but you can trust me someone from a brand did tell me that the tread on their tyres or on the road, the road tyres anyway was there purely for consumer confidence, particularly on the, the kind of more affordable lower end models in that someone who just perhaps isn't um, as a favour of road tyres or doesn't necessarily understand the things that Simon has just said would go into a bike shop and if they saw a slick tyre and they saw a treaded tyre, they'd go with the treaded tyre. So, you know, how kind of relevant that is in today's market, I, I don't know, but yeah, you're right. It's a contentious topic. Note for future podcasts and article, Simon, I'd read about tyre tread. I'd I'd like to hear from the industry on this. I think that'd be a really interesting one to hear whether there is any anything to it and their kind of overall thoughts. It's been an idea that's kind of been floating around as a tech feature for a while. And I never quite got around to it, but I think I think you're right. There is there is plenty in there. And and as I said, actually, you know, with when I attended the kind of virtual launch of Specialized most recent road tires, they did say that they felt that their specific tread did offer some kind of you know, grip enhancements. So maybe there's maybe there is more to it. We'll have to find out. If you have any specific questions on that, if you'd like to have anything answered on a future podcast or article about tire tread, send your thoughts through to podcast at bikegrader.com because that's one I would really like to do. You're very good, Jack. I'm glad you squeezed in the uh, the plug for the inbox. I hadn't done that yet. So yeah, podcast at bikegrader.com. We love to hear from you. Simon, just briefly on this or, you know, in terms of the wider trend that's potentially at play here, is there a trend for brands to launch 
fast versions of their road tyres. So Continental has the the TT version of the GP5000. Now, you know, it's marketed as a TT tyre, but it was used throughout the Tour de France. I think Ineos used that tyre without a single puncher. That, that's the, the the story that I've heard, possibly on a, on a past podcast. Is that a trend or is that something I've made up? No, that's definitely a trend. UAE were also using the uh, TT tyres for road stages. I think, you know, having spoken to people in the know, these tyres now off because of, you know, the move to tubeless and the latest casings and the latest compounds, you know, these tyres, these really fast versions of the, the kind of standard road tyres offer like good enough puncture protection if you're racing on good roads. Now, you know, if you've ever been to a Grand Tour, you know, Giro d'Italia or you know, Tour de France or the Vuelta, you know, a lot of the kind of big main roads tend to be cleaned before the stages come through. So this isn't something that I'm going to be doing. I'm not I'm not going to be running Conti GP5000 TT tires around my local lanes <laughs> in Bristol, which are never cleaned. But, you know, if you're, if you're racing and you're riding a time trial, then yeah, there are a lot more options these days. I, I think... Going back a few years, most time trial wheels were tubular, and so you had a, you had all of these fast options, but only available as tubulars. And I think the brands just kind of assumed that no one would bother buying a clincher. You know, you could get a Veloflex record clincher, for example. You've been able to get a Corsa Speed clincher for a, for a little while, but uh, it's only recently now that kind of you know clinchers and tubeless tires have been shown to have lower rolling resistance, you know, better aerodynamic profiles that we're seeing all of these tires suddenly released in clincher form. And actually, I saw on uh, AeroCoach's Instagram account yesterday that um, Vittoria has released a clincher version of its track-specific Pista Oro Gold, which I would really like to try because that tire must be absolutely rapid. Now, Andrew Fever won the National Hill Climb Championships using track tubulars last year. Obviously, the Hill Climb Championships is a very short race, but it does show that it can be done. And so, yeah, there is there is a kind of trend for it. And, and I think we're going to see these more at the top level of racing, but I wouldn't recommend people go out and buy them for their everyday Sunday bike. I promise we will finish on the topic of fast tires very quickly. I think as well, from a marketing and consumer perspective, like when I first got into road cycling, and to be honest, until your malign influence became massive in the team, Simon, rolling resistance wasn't something I really considered hugely with road tires. But now, like, <laughs> I go look at bike rolling resistance and your reviews before buying or looking at new tires. I think consumers now consider rolling resistance as like quite a key purchasing decision for tires. I think brands are obviously cottoning onto that. And if someone is just like, I want fast, they're going to buy a fast tire. So to have a faster option in your range is probably quite a compelling thing if you want to sell more tires as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, to your point, this kind of information just wasn't publicly available. You know, when I was racing back in kind of, you know, 2013, 2014, there was no bicyclerollingresistance.com and you couldn't find, you know, AeroCoach hadn't built their website yet. You couldn't find out this stuff. So Bike Radar had done tests with kind of like Wheel Energy in Finland, for example. That was, with, I think, Ben Delaney did that test back in maybe 2014. But but you had to kind of guess based on what the pros were using. Now, I, I remember switching from GP4000s over to Veloflex tires because Team Sky switched from Conti's to Veloflex tires around the time that Garrett Thomas and Richie Port couldn't stop falling off their bikes. But that was probably a bad switch in hindsight. I think the GP4000 was a faster tire, but because the Veloflex had a cotton casing, I was like, well, it's more flexible. It must be faster. But I was kind of, you know, we, people were searching around in the dark and, and, you know, the differences are small enough that they're kind of hard to feel, you know, unless you go from, say, you know, a, a, a kind of gator skin up to a, to a, a racing tyre. 
but but the kind of information is just more freely available now and you know yeah like since i've joined bike radar i've tried to kind of incorporate testing into into our reviews you know we did a big tire rolling resistant test last year which is still on site if you haven't read that but yeah more people that that kind of information is more freely available and that means consumers are better informed i think that's only a good thing people can choose to use the data if they want to or choose to ignore it but it's only a good thing that's that's uh, that it's available final point on these uh panarisa tires they cost 69.99 uh each that's that's sterling pounds or 79.99 us dollars as we mentioned at the start with the new campagnolo group set what those numbers actually mean when you go to buy them at your bike shop or uh, your favorite online retailer we're not quite sure at the moment but keep an eye out for these tires uh over the next few weeks as and when they become available. Okay, so our final story, we're going from one fast product to another. This is a new Oakley Arrow 7 helmet. Now, Jack, this is one that you uncovered at Core. Was it even on show or was it something that they kind of um, pulled from behind the curtain? Uh, it was on show. It was quite strange. I went in to go see their new uh, sunglasses. They launched, I completely forgot the name, but they launched a few weeks ago. They're going to be used at the Olympics. And I just wanted to see them, to be honest, because I'm a bit of a nerd. And as I was just gassing, the very friendly man from Oakland, oh, by the way, that's um, that's a new helmet. It doesn't launch for six weeks. Do you want to take some photos of it? So I obviously said yes, and I was very pleased and very smug about the whole thing. But anyway, it's the new Oakley Arrow 7, or Aero 7, A-R-O, uh, and it's Oakley's all-new Aero helmet with an integrated visor. Oakley had the Aero 5, Aero 5 previously, which also had an integrated visor, but it, that was years ago that that thing launched. And Oakley's been quite quite quiet on the helmet front. They're making a big comeback with this rather toad-like helmet with a massive integrated visor. It is a seriously striking helmet. I strongly advise you to click the link in the podcast description, uh, yeah, podcast description to see it. I look quite mad wearing it on the site. But it's due to arrive with kind of more thorough details in around six weeks. But for now, we know... It's more air than the old one. It comes with different different prism lens options. It costs £272 with the visor or £212 without. Looks quite cool. Looks like a standard aero helmet without the, the visor fitted. And the visor attaches magnetically. It is quite a, quite a far-out-looking helmet. I'll say that. <laughs> so I think the previous aero helmet, or certainly one of them, was a, was a full-on time trial helmet. Yes, sorry. Whereas the, the idea with this one is that this is this is certainly the way the chap at uh, Oakley described it. Is that it's a, an aero road helmet without the visor, and then you you can clip on, or I think there's there's magnets. You can snap on the visor if you're doing a triathlon or a time trial or road racing. Simon, you've also tested a lot of aero road helmets. Do you see the appeal in something that sits in both camps, so you can use it for your general road riding on a club run, but then you can also get down to the TT on a Wednesday night? I can see the logic behind it, but it isn't what most people do. You know, most most people, if they're into time trialing or triathlon, they buy a full on aero, uh, full on time trial helmet because the the gains from having that super long tail, even if you're kind of you know at the kind of shorter end, like a cast bambino or something, the long tail and covering your ears is a is a big enough gain to make it worthwhile. And unfortunately, you know, racing is just an arms race, and so you know, if if, if some other guy or your gal turns up to the race with a, a TT helmet and you don't have one, you, you're kind of just giving away speed. And and your know, helmets are you know they're not dirt cheap but they're cheap enough that they are accessible in the in the, in the way that you know a 2000 pound set of new wheels isn't 
you know, we, we've seen so many helmets with, with like aero helmets with visors in the past, going back to the kind of Giro Air Attack salad bowl that launched, you know. <laughs> is, that the, is that the full name? Sorry, no, uh, no. That, the, the salad bowl bit was an addition for me. But, um, but then, you know, Giro then tried again with the Vanquish Mips a, f- a few years ago, which also had an integrated visor. You, we used to see a lot of these types of helmets on the track. You know, um, Casco made its Speed Aero helmet, which also had an integrated visor. I, I think they just, I, it's really sad to say, I'm sure the performance is there, but they just look a little bit dorky. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I think for road, you know, road cycling, you know, it has an increasing tolerance for looking dorky. When Team Sky first started wearing skin suits in road races, you know, Pipo Pozzato laughed at them. And then now everyone is doing it. You know, we've, we've seen a kind of POC launch, a time trial-esque helmet, which covers your ears recently and has a visor. Uh, well, actually, they haven't launched it yet. We've seen it teased at the Tour Down Under and, and in other road races. You know, Cask is making a new road helmet which covers the tops of your ears, for example. You know, and if you pair that with a big set of sunglasses, you're kind of 95% of the way to a time trial helmet with a visor. So maybe the time has come that this stuff, people now, because consumer knowledge about the importance of aerodynamics is hitting its zenith, maybe the time is now. Jack, how would you describe your looks in this helmet? Mm, bold, <laughs> bold. <laughs> the, the big, big collar denim shirt plus the helmet is is quite a strange, a strange combination. I mean, on the head, on the head, wearing it, it feels massive. Like the visor is as wide as the side of the helmet. So there's no like cut in at the side. It, it's almost like a ski helmet, actually. When I think about it, it's um, I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> it's just a bit too far out for me. We weirdly on the integrated visors outside of road cycling. I certainly around Bristol, but also in the market, see more like e-bike and urban helmets with them now. And in a way, I almost see the appeal a little bit more there because it's not just an additional accessory. But again, like, oh man, they look a bit naff for me. I, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> Simon, you mentioned there the fact that there's there's quite a few new aero um, helmets knocking about at the moment. It, you know, is that just the nature of the product cycle, or is it just it's like the latest thing that's getting the the kind of latest aero knowledge? It's kind of interesting to see that, you know, Cask and Pock have both released helmets that co- or have both started teasing helmets that cover your ears a little bit. Now, the, you know, the funny thing about the UCI rules is that there's actually nothing to stop anyone wearing a time trial helmet in a road stage. You know, you could turn up in a Cask Bambino with the full visor and you would be faster, but people don't want to do it. You know, there, there are partly there are some good reasons for that in the sense that time trial helmets tend to be a lot less well ventilated and therefore you know you're going to risk getting stuffy you won't be able to hear so well because if your ears are covered then obviously hearing is quite important when you're riding in a big bunch because you need to know what people are saying to you from behind you know blah 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 yeah i i think it's it's always interesting to see this development and you know we kind of ask this question a lot whether pro cycling will diverge from consumer cycling you know, if they're all riding time trial tires and essentially wearing time trial helmets like this, you know, that's that's not that's not going to you know time trial tires. We would not recommend those for just general riders. You know, is the, is it going to be the same with this? Will we say this is too this is too much? You know, in the same way that like I really loved the Ribble Ultra SLR aero bike, for example, and I gave it a really good score. But if if someone was asking me, should I buy that bike? I would have to sit them down and, and you know, have a very serious conversation about like what they were intending to do with it. Because if you're not going to race that bike, it's probably the wrong bike for you. Do you know, it, it's so designed to be a really specific tool for a job that if that's not 
what you're buying it for, you're probably going to be better off with something else. And and I wonder if it this is kind of entering that arena where, like, you know, yeah, the kind of performance numbers make sense if you're racing. And this, you know, as Jack said, this visor is enormous. But that, you know, that probably helps direct that airflow around around your around your kind of face and ears, you know, very effectively. You know, we, we've seen big helmets in time trialing for a number of years now. And visors, there is a part of it that is look. And I, and I have heard before that some helmets work better with and without visors. It's not always necessarily a game. But if you look at, say, you know, the Specialized TT5, which is uh, Remco Venipol's helmet, that has an enormous visor. And, and it integrates really cleanly with the helmet and, and obviously is designed to direct the airflow off his face and around his shoulders. And I wonder if they're kind of considering something here. But, you know, if, if like I said, if you're not racing at an elite level, it's that question of like, how much performance do you actually need? Mm. Well, I think that's a really good bit of buying advice that applies to anything, particularly when you're at the, the kind of really extreme ends of the performance spectrum is, what are you actually going to use this bike or product for? And does the intentions of the bike or product match your intentions with it? You know, often you might want the really fast aero bike with the crazy handlebars, but actually if you're just, you know, chipping about on the club, the club run or, or commuting to work, probably not the bike for you. Stan had a good bit about this in the end of his long term. He reviewed the Ridley Noah Fast and he kind of concluded his long term review that a few weeks ago. And he talked about just life in general hasn't, enabled him to be the cyclist he wanted to be with that bike and sort of counter to what you said. How sad. How sad. (laughs) sad. But at the same time, he said that the aspirational aspect of owning something really fast was like enough, enough pleasure in itself. It's really good, actually. It's a very nice, poignant end to his time with that bike. Don't get me wrong. I really want a Ribble Ultra SLR because for that, (laughs) like, you know, one group ride every two months that I do, I'll feel like an absolute weapon. <laughs> but then, like, it's that thing, like, I love my time trial bike, but, like, how often do I actually ride it outside? It's, like, it's so impractical. But when it, when I'm, like, there on the start line in my skin suit, my time trial helmet, I've got the disc wheel on, I've got the 56T chain ring, you know, like, I've got the ceramic speed oversized aero pulley wheel system. Like, it is absolutely amazing, and it's almost worth it just for that. But, like... But you're not going to be riding around the Oakley helmet day to day. No. <laughs> Jack, do you have the prices to hand for this helmet? Yes, it's £272 with the visor. I assume that's just with a standard prism lens. We didn't get more details than that. And £212 without. We don't have any international pricing yet. Despite us kind of beefing on the fact that this looks pretty mad with the visor, it does actually look pretty much like a standard aero helmet without, maybe a bit wider than typical. So I imagine Oakley will probably sell a few of them without the visor as well. According to the guy I spoke to, the the big wigs at Oakley were keen to push it as this all-encompassing, all-in-one unit. But they were kind of like, no, we think people will want to buy it without the visor as well. So you never know, maybe maybe as a standard helmet, it'll be a compelling option. I think that's a smart idea. And actually, the £270 is around the price of, say, like a specialised Evade free you know, an Abus Game Changer 2. So, you know, selling it without the visor for £212 actually like undercuts most of the big brand aero helmets. So... I think that's a good idea. As you say, people can buy the visor if they want it, but I notice this helmet also has sunglasses port at the front. So if you just have a pair of standard cycling sunglasses, this helmet will work for that too. One very last final, final, final point on this helmet, something we forgot to mention. This was a feature of Oakley's old helmet, something I kind of totally forgot about, but rather than foam, they use rubber channels on the pads inside the helmet and they're sort of like grooved 
and they flow out to the sides of your temple. And the idea is that they capture sweat and allow it to sort of flow off to the side. It's really soft, the rubber. It feels almost like, I don't really know how to describe it. It's very, very, very soft, quite strange. It's something I'd quite like to try. But imagine you'd finish right with big, five big lines across the front of your head. I think yeah. in, the, in the last podcast that the three of us did together, you, you spent most of it talking about how sweaty you are. Would, would that be a waterfall out the back of the helmet? <laughs> yeah, <for you? laughs> Perfect yes. person to test that. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Let's wrap up on that joyful note. Jack, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, George. Thank you for your sneak in this week. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love, I genuinely like going around trade shows, chatting to nice bike industry people, but more than anything else, getting the jump on our competitors and getting juicy scoops out on the site. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, Simon, great to have you. Thank you for all your rigorous testing, particularly on those Favero pedals. Always a pleasure to be here. Well, that's five of this week's biggest news stories. As I say, there's there's more on the site. Go and check it out. But we'll also include links to all of the stories that we've covered in the show notes for the podcast so you can uh, dive in in more detail if you want to. Otherwise, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review and send us an email at podcast at Bike Radar if you've got a question, you want some buying advice or you've got a suggestion for a future topic. If not, then we'll speak to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.